in a uh, podcast ruled by fear. <laughs> yeah, uh, ruled by um, Jamie uh, Anderson. Well, possibly, yeah, with a, with a, a rod of iron. Okay, all right. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson, Richard James, and Chris Dale. Pod 273 of the Jerry Anderson Podcast. We're doing it right now, are we? Well, <laughs> when, when did you want to do it? I don't know. Get a few minutes time. It's fine. I thought I might get a coffee. Sorry, but... have I interrupted you? No, no, no. It's absolutely fine. I just thought, you know, because I've got a script ready and we're all here. Everything's the lights, the camera's going, mics are hooked up. So I thought we'd um, fine. just do it now. Well, that's very boring of you to do that. But okay, fine. Sorry. Uh, I, I was also just adjusting my, my headphones because... People pointed out that I wear them weirdly. But I'm, I mean, I'm carrying on wearing them weirdly, but I think maybe they've been a bit forward in the past okay. and, and now they're... Also, people are a bit concerned about the, just the one ear yeah, showing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least it's your kind of upstage ear, as we would say in the theater. I could change it so that you can... No, nobody no. needs to see my, no, my clammy ear. Anyway. Anyway, uh, I am we've the... probably put a lot of people off already. Uh, yes. Yeah, well, let's try and win them back. <laughs> I'm the owner of only one clammy ear, Jamie Anderson. Who are you? Yes, I'm afraid to say... I'm getting there. I've got a couple of quite clammy ears. Mm. And I'm Richard James. Yeah. And uh, also we're joined by someone with two very dry ears. <laughs> yes. Ar- old arid ears, as we call them. <laughs> That's what we call them. <laughs> I didn't think we were going to mention that on the podcast, but is, that is exactly what we call them. Yeah, it's finally out there in the world. Uh, it's the random Meister himself, Chris Dale on the sofa. Hi, Chris. Hi, arid well, ears. Uh, Chris, sorry. Don't call him that. No, don't call him that. Oh, I see. Sorry. Not in public. No, no, fair enough. Uh, yeah, well, he's here with the randomizer, of course, a magnificent machine. Uh, and and also his randomizer too. Yes. yes, yes, because it contains every single episode of every single Jerry Anderson series. Yes, and there's a point later on in the podcast where he will invite our guest, who this week is Aisha Bruff, again for the second part of her interview, mm. to press the button on his randomizer to select a random episode of a random Jerry Anderson series for him to watch and to comment on and pull apart and generally no no I don't know just see how it takes and what's interesting and what isn't (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah so that'll be a little later on I can't Uh, wait for that uh, we've also got um, some newsy news 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 from uh, bespectacled Jamie Anderson oh yes over there in the studio back in Wales yeah Uh, and we've got um, uh, uh, emails from our podstrongs who've been emailing us in at podcast.jerryhanson.com the second part of as I've mentioned of our wonderful interview from uh, Aisha Brath yes Um, so shall we crack on with it then (gasps) why why did you do this what have I done now it's not even funny what isn't the thing where you ignore bad facts? Well, I've uh, got a book that's on the table that right I'll pick there. up in a minute. And, it's right there, isn't it? Yeah, it's staring at me. It is. <laughs> oh, come on, put me out of my misery. <laughs> With the book, it's quite heavy. I don't no, no, could. just read a fab fact. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go straight into fab facts then. Now, time for this week's fab facts. Yes, indeed. I've got a book of fab facts. Yes, indeed. I often refer to it. As, As a, a tome. tome. You do. That's quite recent, I think. Is it? Yeah, I think so. I feel like I've been in the tome thing for some time. <laughs> Why don't you just call it a book? Uh, okay. I've got a book of fab facts. Doesn't sound as good. Uh, and uh, I'm going to flick through that book. We're yeah. just going to shout fab at a random point. Mm. That stops me uh, somewhere inside the book. Yeah. And hopefully there we happen upon a rather marvellous fab fact. Hopefully we do. Yeah. So, Richard, are you ready? Born ready. Let me just prepare the flicking thumb. Okay, this is a new thing. It takes up time. There we go. It's ready. Okay. Here we go. Yep. Fab! Oh, what? Very what nice. What have you got? Well, I think I possibly uh, yeah. over-egged that slightly. Oh. Um, so sorry if I deafened you with my That's good. fab fact flicking That's good. At, like uh, at home there, yeah. uh, listeners. Um, Richard, today's fab fact concerns the legendary... Nick Tate. He is a legend. He is. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Nick Tate is, I mean... Oh, well, he's Alan Carter in Space 1999. Richard's just answered that for you, yes. Uh, and, of course, he was in 42 whole episodes of Space oh. 1999. Excellent. Lucky him. However, 
How aware were you, Podstrons, and Richard James, Yes. that in six or seven episodes of Thunderbirds, you can hear the voice of Nick Tate's father, John Tate, in uncredited guest roles. I was not aware of that at all. Uh, well, now you are. Mm. And that's the... No, that's not the end. Uh, these included such roles as, uh, ast- the, as Astronaut Camp in Sun Probe, Frank Hooper in Atlantic Inferno, and McColl in Path of Destruction. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, these Thunderbirds episodes were John's only contributions to the Anderson universe, although it could be argued that Nick himself counts as... Quite a significant contribution uh, <laughs> yeah, to true. the Anderson universe. Yeah. Um, so uh, so much so that when Nick first went to see Sylvia about Space 1999, her immediate reaction was, "Oh my God, you're John Tate's boy." Oh wow, that's useful, isn't it? His reputation preceded him. Mm. Good old bit of nepotism Absolutely. in the Anderson universe. Imagine that. <laughs> Never happened. Uh, speaking of voice work, were you also aware? Uh, that you may have heard Nick's voice many years after Space 1999, albeit on somewhat of a larger screen. Um, no, go on. Well, beginning in the 1990s, Nick became one of Hollywood's leading movie trailer voiceover guys. Did he? He did. Wow. You know, the deep gravelly voices who deliver such epic taglines as, in a world ruled by fear, one man dares to dream, and so on. Uh, Anyway, he did lots of those for blockbuster trailers. Ah. Um, Nick's first movie trailer voiceover was for a film called 1492 Conquest of Paradise. Oh, uh, well, that's uh, uh, that's a um, a thing, a Christopher Columbus um, movie. It about is. About Christopher Columbus. Correct. Not directed by Christopher Columbus. Uh, but the one that he actually credits with putting him on the map when it came to voiceovers yeah. was the trailer for Jurassic Park. Ah. Oh. Uh, it's where he manages to inject lines like, an adventure 65 million years in the making. Yes. Uh, with the suitable level of gravitas and wonder, which I can't quite achieve, well, sadly. Yeah. Uh, around this time, there was a core group of four or five voice artists, of which Nick was one, who all specialised in doing big, deep movie trailer voices. But once you learn to recognise Nick's trailer voice, it can become quite fun listening out for him elsewhere. Great. From here, Nick was soon a regular uh, regular demand for trailer voiceovers, such as the big 1990s hits like Apollo 13, GoldenEye, Mm -hmm. Congo, Stargate, Free Willy, Tomorrow Never Dies, Independence Day, and many, many more. Amazing. Even into the 2000s, of course, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie... (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's the one he's probably best known for now. So, uh, Posterons, we'd like to know what's the most obscure or unlikely movie trailer that you've ever heard Nick's voice on. Gosh, email us podcast at jerryanson.com. Wow, amazing. Um, now didn't John Glenn direct a Christopher Columbus movie? That wasn't fourteen ninety two, was it? Oh, I don't know there. Come on, yeah, you're did, really did, testing did. me. I think there were two at around about the same time because I think it was something of an anniversary, and there was that one fourteen ninety two. I think had Gerard Depardieu. Uh, in it, um, but I think John Glenn did another, but I can't remember what it was called. Well, do you know who will know? Uh, Podstrons. Absolutely. Email us the answer to that as well, mm. podcast at jerryanderson.com. Mm. Yeah, good. Nice, I like it. Uh, I did hear, talking of voices, the old fallacy trotted out, I think on the radio the other day, about, was it Brian Cobby, I think? Oh, who not did that the, again. Who did the voice for the, the talking clock. Yeah, you know, but at was the also, third stroke. Yeah. The time sponsored by, sorry. That's just, it. it but, yeah, used but, to call it all the time when yeah, I was a kid. I know, I know, isn't that weird? Yeah. Calling up to see what the time is. Wouldn't do it now. Well, obviously not now. Doesn't exist now. No, because it's on your phone anyway, so why would yeah. you? Yeah. Um, but yes, you know, the, the radio presenter also mentioned that he was also responsible for the... Um, Thunderbirds countdown. Yes. Yes, but when he was asked, didn't he basically say, oh, I may have done it, I, I can't remember, uh, but it does sound like me. Yes, which is fair enough, isn't it? That's well, a fair it enough sounds a lot more like Peter Dinley than it does Brian Cobb. Yeah, of course it does, exactly. Yeah, anyway, there we are.
Like it. Mm. Good. Good. Uh, so I'm a big, big, big fan of uh, Nick Tate, so any fab fact about Nick Tate is, is fine by me. He's a very nice man. Is he? Yeah. That's nice to hear. Big fan of Homage Lily. Is he? Yeah. Aren't we all? Well, absolutely. Mm, There's another okay. one for the podcast for, uh, for the guest in the That'd future. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Uh, good old Nick and his amazing voice brings us yes. epically oh. to the end yes. of this week's... Fab fact. Oh, well, 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 I thought you were going to take I just did it in a, in a kind of movies trailer style. Oh, okay. In well, a world. In a, fa- in a fab in fact. fact. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. I like Beautifully that. Beautifully done. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, always, do, do they talk like that all the time, do you think? Or is it something that they sort of switch on when they need it? I don't know. Does, does, he, thought, do, isn't it? does he kind of go, go all method and announce everything from the moment he gets to the studio? Have you ever met Peter Dixon? No. But you know of him? Of course I do. He's the fa- uh, famously did the X Factor. Yeah. Well, that's all. Ollie Murs. Rachel Adadeji. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. think he always talks like that? Of course he does. I'm <laughs> fine. Don't Good. doubt it for a second. Good. Um, talking of not doubting things for a second, I have never <laughs> doubted the capacity of our wonderful uh, roving reporter, mm. Jamie Anderson. Mm. In his specs, mm. sometimes a nice little knitted bit of knitwear going on as well. Does he give a knitwear? I think, I'm I think not once sure he's he does. Knitwear. Really? Sitting in front of those. You know, shelves of Anderson Tat. And a tat? Never doubted his capacity to bring us the latest Jerry Anderson newsy, news, news, news. Thank goodness, because he's the only one who's going to do it. And so here he is now. Over to me. Hello everyone, this is Jamie Anderson here with your weekly update from the Jerry Anderson universe. So potentially with some added dog, because I've got a new puppy, let's dive right in. We've got an exciting announcement for all you Captain Scarlet fans. Corgi has just unveiled their new Captain Scarlet SPV and Angel Interceptors. Pre-orders are live and you can expect these beauties to ship later in the autumn. So don't wait, SIG. Spectrum is green. Mark those calendars, Thunderbirds Day on the 30th of September and Breakaway on the 13th of September are fast approaching. We're ramping up with special releases and announcements for each of these fantastic series so you won't want to miss out. For a sneak peek, check out our teaser article at jerryanderson.com. Speaking of calendars, our brand new Thunderbirds and Space 1999 calendars are here for 2024. They're shipping as we speak. Act now and you can snag free Thunderbirds or Space 1999 keyrings with each calendar, but only while stocks last. And remember that cryptic hint about furry fiends? Well, keep your eyes and ears open as we'll be unveiling that mystery very, very soon. Let's just say you won't want to miss it. And you'll be surprised too. As always, our social media channels are teeming with content you'll love, from behind the scenes footage to in-depth articles and lots more. There is never a dull moment on our feed, so make sure you're following us to get your daily dose of all things Anderson. Well, that wraps up this week's news. Stay tuned for more exciting updates, and as always, let's keep the world of Jerry Anderson alive and well for generations to come. Until next week, see you then. Back to Richard and Jamie in the studio. There, news. I know. News. Can't shut him up. <laughs> Always every, says stuff every, every week. Every week. Whether he like it or not. I know. I'll tell you what I'd like him to do one week, though. So just frame himself in mm. front of those shelves so that a hat on a shelf behind him, perhaps, looks, looks like, like it's a, kind of um, resting on his head. wearing it. Okay, yeah. That'd be funny. You could have a word with him and sort that out. Yes, me. I will definitely have words. That'd be nice. See what we can do for you. Uh, now, would you like to hear from the people without whom this podcast would not even be a thing at all? The team at the Moxie Hotel Slough and Residence Inns. Yes. Would you like to hear from them or would you rather hear from our podstrons? It's up to you. It's a choice. That's tough. I'll go for podstrons this week. Thank you. (laughs) That's a relief. Otherwise, we'd have a whole new section called The Voice of the Moxie Hotel. (laughs) And that doesn't sound quite so snappy. A future edition, perhaps. Uh, Let's turn on the aircon and uh, let in a chill breeze, shall we? (laughs) 
This is the voice of the Podstarons. Yes, it's the voice of the Podstarons because, as ever, our listeners and viewers have been emailing us at podcast.jerryanderson.com. Thank you. Yes, with their thoughts, comments, and uh, ribaldry. I beg your pardon? Isn't that like a word for having fun? I don't know, but now I feel like we need a dictionary corner uh, in the Jerry Anson podcast. Would you like to read out the first email from Alex Patrick? I can certainly attempt to do that. Good. Gosh, it's quite a long one, isn't it? Well, there's a long one afterwards, and I know what you're like with long ones. You can have that, yes. Thank you. Dear Jamie and Richard. That's us. He writes, Thunderbirds played a very significant role in my childhood, as I'm sure it did for everyone in our group. Mm. Its romanticism of technology in combination with its family elements fill me with a particular warmth that I cannot find anywhere else. Oh, it's like that Werther's original advert, isn't it? They've had that strange strap line. Where's your little place of warmth? Or something. Was that the strap line? It's something like that. Should have got Nick Tate to do that one. (laughs) Uh, Mm. You can't find it anywhere else, though. Uh, Whilst also being one of those classic shows that isn't afraid to showcase danger or destruction. Absolutely plenty of peril. Yes. Therefore, I'm going to do something special. Uh Uh-oh. I know. But each day leading up to the 30th of September, I'm going to review each individual instalment of Original Thunderbirds mm-hmm. from least favourite to most favourite <sighs> on the podcast already. Facebook page. Okay. I know, that's dangerous, isn't it? Yes. I ranked them on it last year already, mm-hmm. but upon a thorough rewatch, I've made a few modifications as well as including the two feature films this time round. Okay. Ooh, okay. But there's more. I found out of all the Supermarination shows, Thunderbirds peaks and troughs the most in quality. Ooh, contentious. He's bringing a lot of contentiousness here. No, that's interesting. That's good. I can put on Stingray, Captain Scarlet and Joe 90 in their entirety and not be too fussed. Right. Whereas, Whereas with Thunderbirds, I always find myself being more choosy. Yes. Okay. So I think the entire series is a sufficient showcase of the do's and don'ts of sci-fi writing. Oh, interesting. So he thinks, That's yeah. great. Even then, I don't think the vast majority of episodes are clearly good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's mostly an instance of some leaving a stronger impact than others. Well, that's also totally fair. Yeah. I have established three sets of criteria when analysing an instalment. Oh, I love criteria. Gosh, come on. A, a lovely framework. <laughs> yes. uh, one, how effectively does it utilise the formal elements such as plot structure, tone, pacing and shot composition? Okay, yeah. Number two, how well does it adhere to the core ideas, in this case, saving lives and scientific marvels? Right. And three, is it a solid introduction? for a first-time viewer. That's an interesting uh, yes. way to classify isn't it? Absolutely. Anyway, so stay tuned as I count down to Thunderbirds Day. Kind regards, Alex Patrick. Oh, I can't wait. That sounds really interesting. Ooh, Having uh, a, are we going to agree? Well, well it doesn't matter disagree. if we don't. That's the thing. This is Alex's version of events. No, but it's bound to you know, spark some conversation. Of course, and that's what we love here, conversation. Uh, hi, Richard, Jamie and Chris, says Ed Tipton in rainy Hereford. Well, it's rainy here as well. It's oh, it's a nice place there, Hereford. Yeah. Um, as a long time listener to the podcast, I came on board around episode nine or ten. Oh. I've been consistently entertained by Richard experiencing the seven stages of grief with Fab Facts, mm. gradually progressing from denial, anger, mm. bargaining, and depression mm. right through to his recent first signs of acceptance. Yeah. Aren't you doing well? <laughs> Previously on the podcast, uh, there has been mention of links between. You see what I did there? Yeah. There have been mention of links uh, between the worlds of Jerry Anderson and some of the greatest bands of that era. We've had a Fab Fact about a meeting between Sylvia Anderson and the Rolling Stones, as yeah. well as the Beatles affectionately joking about supercar 
Carl and Stingray, yep. as well as Get Back appearing in an episode of uh, UFO. Yes, indeed. As it is Barry Gray's birthday at time of writing, uh, several weeks back now, I thought it only appropriate to write in with a fab fact connecting the great man himself with another seminal 60s band, The Who. And mm. hopefully this will help Richard fully accept and come to terms with fab facts. Right. Barry Gray, who apparently uh, was apparently a key figure in the earliest stages of The Who's career. The unlikely connection began in World War II when Gray was called up to serve in the RAF. Whilst based at RAF Padgate, Gray was encouraged to start a dance band which other musical conscripts with other musical conscripts to raise funds and morale. Of the many musical soldiers who passed through the camp and Gray's band was a young saxophonist called Cliff Townsend. Keeping up? Just about. They got on well and kept in touch after the war ended. Twenty years later, Cliff's young son, Pete... Right. Had started a band which was becoming very popular locally and they were keen to make a demo recording. Uh, Cliff was aware of his old friend Barry Gray's home recording studio and asked if Gray could assist the young band. This would prove to be the very first studio recording ever made of the fledgling Who, though sadly it was never released either on an official release or a bootleg. There, oh. shame. Anyway, wow. uh, I just couldn't pass up giving Barry Gray his just due on his birthday, says Ed. The man's work is a huge part of the power behind Jerry's productions, and I've yet to hear one of his scores that isn't a highlight of the show or movie that it was written for. Discovering that he was also a key player in the emergence of one of my favourite bands of all time is a delightful little feather in his cap. Take care, all, and keep up the consistently excellent work. Oh, that's nice. All the best from Ed Tipton. Wow. There. I did not know that, no, I didn't know that. That's good, isn't it? Gosh. Amazing. It's all sort of interwoven, isn't it? Yeah. A tapestry of... And more nepotism. More it nepotism. is everywhere. <laughs> Can't escape it, can you? And interestingly enough, by the time we listen to or view this particular episode of the Jerry Anderson podcast, mm. I would have seen The Who in concert. No way. How's that? Gosh. Yeah. What What for? I'm going to see them in Sandringham. Is that a birthday present or... A... Yeah, I just happened to be in the area. Amazing. Yeah. Oh. So there's that as well. Go and go and share the fab fact with them. <laughs> I think I'll see if I can get backstage and tell yeah. them. Excuse me. No, 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 I've got a story about Barry. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Oh. They'll definitely listen. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and a final one, I think, there for you, Jamie, from oh, Martin Smith. So there is. Thank you. Hi, Jamie, Richard and Chris. Hi, Martin. Chris says hi too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if the current format of audio CD releases in the replica Century 21 card sleeves will continue... He's talking to uh, talking about Cloud of a Billion Lights, Terra Fake and Martian Menace. Oh, yes. These card sleeves are quite difficult to store oh. as they can't be easily identified when stored vertically, uh, side by side in a cupboard or a rack. I have a suggestion. Oh, yes. Could the Jerry Anderson store produce a box, perhaps in faux leather, embossed oh. with the Century 21 Records logo on oh. either side, which could then be stored on one's undershelf for easy storage? This would be a nice, easy, compact way of storing this type of CD and uh, not too expensive uh, to purchase from the store. Mm -hmm. Also generating sales and revenue for your good sales. What do you guys think, FAB Martin Smith? What do you think? Well, I don't know. I'm not I'm not entirely sold on the card sleeve thing yet. I like I like them. I think they yeah. look cool. Yeah. But I share your concern, Martin, about Yes. How do they, how do they look on the shelves? Yeah. Just well, to... if you kind of prop them well, That's right. prop them all up facing Oh, it, it, a lot of shelf space. But it does take up a lot of shelf space, you see. But then you've got the, the concerns of plastic cases, all the jewel cases and all that. That's right. It's, it's a difficult oh, one, isn't it? What an annoyance. We want to do the right thing. I think I would find some sort of base with some grooves in that you could slot them in and kind of then flick through to the one you want. But then you still can't easily see no. what's where, can you? Oh, what's the, what's the solution, Jamie? Yeah. Well, maybe it is Martin's faux leather box. Wouldn't that be lovely? I love a bit of faux leather. Mm. Could it be suede? Suede box. Possibly. Uh, New buck. 
leave it leave it with us uh, we'll it's explore all the different materials and let you know Martin but yeah. thank you for the email uh, all for now but do email us at podcast at jerryanderson.com because we love to get your messages and we also really enjoy reading them out we do sorry I forgot yeah. there for a moment I was getting distracted by yes. what's coming up <gasps> are you as excited as I am I think I might be more excited than more you more excited than mm. even the podstrons getting in touch at podcast at jerryanderson.com well mm-hmm. I think the proximity to yeah. this person makes I it more exciting see. What a delight to welcome back our amazing guest from last week. She's a bona fide globe-trotting star. For five years, TV audiences were invited to lift off with Aisha. Alongside her many acting and musical appearances, she's also written a book about her career and a compilation CD of her favourite songs. It's amazing she's found the time to join us. It's Aisha Braff! Aisha, thank you so much for joining us again. Pleasure. Um, Now, last time you shared your memories of Fireball XL5, your first Jerry Anderson memory, uh, and also the beginnings of your career in the entertainment industry. Um, On the whole, do you have fond memories of those early years? Yes, yes. And and do you think they made you the woman you are today, to some degree? I don't know. (laughs) I I think I was just living life, having fun... I think you're you're not really aware, maybe you were, Mm. when you're like 19, 20, of where you're going. You think you know everything. You don't know anything at all. But uh, I was just enjoying it. It all seemed seemed there for the taking. Wow. If, If you just had a little bit of luck and an opportunity, but everything was possible. Do you think those are opportunities that may not exist now for someone in your position, as it were? No, I... I I I think that it's different. Yeah. But I think maybe the reality shows yeah. have have given people a chance to in 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 moments to to fulfill their dreams. Yes. And the talent shows. Yes. Um it sounds old fashioned, but I really do like that the old way was do the work, get the experience, get the opportunity and you're ready to really do it, rather than get the opportunity, then learn Uh the job. Uh Aha, right. Is there anything you wish you'd had known at that early stage? Oh, a lot. (laughs) So what would you tell yourself if you could go back to a 16, 17-year-old Aisha? Would you reassure her that it all turns out all right in the end, perhaps? Well, it has. I'm here. Yeah. I'm here, and uh, I haven't done anything terrible, and... I've got great friends and I laugh most of of the day yeah. and life is good. Um, yeah. What would I tell myself at 16? I, I would not get so sidetracked. I think I would work even harder and just concentrate and really try to, to compress 15 years' career into five years. Wow, right. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah. We spoke last time, of course, about UFO which yep. is your connection to the worlds of Jerry Anderson, as yep. we know. Um, and you sent me uh, a favourite moment that uh, you felt we should take a look at. So uh, let's have a look. Bless. Weren't they great titles? Amazing titles, yeah. And the music's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? Barry Gray, of course. And the car looked good. Lovely. There she is. Oh, look at her. Do you 
you know Keith Alexander, the guy, was the voice of Topo Gigio? Oh, right. Do you I know the know little that. Italian yes. mouse? Ah. Oh. Brings back memories. So uh, let's not downplay that. Pretty much the first, I know there's a a short scene before that, but pretty much the first shot of a brand new series from Jerry and Sylvia Anderson. Yeah. And you're in it. Yeah. So there's that. Yes. (laughs) And I didn't know, they booked me to do the bit that I was meant to do. And then they called me and asked me to come down. And they said, we want you to do the titles, which was a lovely thing for them to do for me. First of all, because um, if you are on screen and recognisable for more than three seconds, you get residuals Uh forever. So they Uh, were handing me a lot of money. And, of course, because you're in the titles, that's every episode. Yeah. I see. Yeah, great. All over the world, sir. Yes, of course. And it doesn't matter what, if they don't... They don't have any scenes of me or whatever. Yeah. It's in every episode. Yeah. So I, I get a residual for every And do you still get those showed. now? Yeah. Now, of course, I don't need to know numbers, but was there a peak to that during the 70s? Yeah. So that was oh, the, the, a I nice was, little... Even up to, to the early uh, 2000s. Yeah. It was, it was bringing in a, a, a fair amount. It was a wonderful thing. Right. Now it's a few hundred pounds yeah, a year. It's, that's right. But it's, it's still... That's a few hundred pounds a year. Yeah. It's a Christmas present, isn't it? Yeah. It's a gift. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then the scene outside uh, Elstree Studios there, if you were arriving yeah. to work with your folder. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that day. Can you remember anything about that? I remember, I remember Jerry, it was, it, was, it was like being in a movie yeah. because he was on, you know, the, the, the dolly yes. and he was doing the whole thing and, yeah. and, um, and uh, it was only me. You know, we, ha- we had a whole crew and whatever. And it was, you had people sort of in the background doing one or two things, but he said, right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be thinking about your job and you're going, and I'm, okay, so I'm motivated. I'm a professional and I'm I'm doing something that's worthy for the earth. And I thought, how come he can't see me? Uh I'm just, he's behind me. Yeah. And finally, after a good few shots, I said, "I, I don't understand you're behind me. And he said, trust me, I've, I've got the best shot. Mm. So mm. that was it. Okay. But it was very sweet. Yeah, very but sweet. But it wasn't horrid. It no, wasn't no. gross or anything. No. Different times, of course, you know, yeah. as, which is the well-known phrase, isn't it? Uh, yeah. You probably wouldn't approach that scene in that way now. I, do you know, I think sometimes we get a little bit too caught up in, mm. you know, we mustn't be used as women. Mm. They yeah. didn't really hire... I never have hired me because I was ugly. So, you know, I think it's a little pretentious yeah. to, to be... I don't care. So by now you had a very successful uh, career in the music business. Yeah. How busy did UFO keep you? 
Were you able to do well, both at the same time? Yeah, well, their schedule, you can't manoeuvre around because it's filming, it's so expensive. I would get up at like five o'clock in the morning and have to be up at um, Elstree by seven. We'd be in makeup and we'd be there till six or seven. So for the period of time that we shot an episode, yeah. you, you had no life other than do the job yeah. and then come back, learn the script or whatever. Yeah. You know, I didn't have loads of dialogue, but you needed to, you know, know yeah. what was going on. And did you have sort of downtime? Did you have the odd episode that wasn't quite so heavy for you, so you had time yeah. for yourself? Oh, yeah. The, the, but, but when you were shooting basically an episode, if you were in the episode, you were around for those two weeks. Yeah. I think we shot them in ten days or two right. weeks. But when I wasn't doing that, I was doing Lift Off, my own show, which I did a day a week up in Manchester, but I would rehearse down here in London anything I had to do. But that was shot live. Uh Um, Didn't go out live, but it was shot in one piece on on one day a week. And then I worked seven days a week doing live cabaret. That's extraordinary. So I'd go and do my band call on, on a Sunday, you started, and then I would finish the following Saturday. So I worked 52 weeks of the year, I would say... Seven days a week for like four years. Hard work, of course, but did it feel yeah. like work? No, no, <laughs> no. Sometimes I would stand on stage. I mean, I'd I'd do pantomime, I'd do spring season, summer season, and I would stand and I would think, this is a great job. Yeah, it really is. Beautiful me. I have a full orchestra. Yeah, gorgeous clothes. Yeah. People treated me very nicely, yeah. really nicely. And, of course, in cabaret, you have that intimate relationship with your audience. That I found the scariest thing ah. was being on stage. I have no problem with 30,000 people and a big stage, and, and I can feel the warmth and I can pick someone out. Cabaret all seemed a bit weird to me to be made up and, and all the glitter, and the person's four feet away. <laughs> It feels like you. I've rushed up and sung in someone's face. Yes, that's so right. it took a while to get you. Other people found it their happiest medium. Not for me. Yeah. My happiest is theatre and television. I love television. Somehow or other, I have never had a minute's nerves with the camera. Has always been my friend. Ah. I could talk to. Yeah. I don't have a problem Amazing. with that. And how did you find touring in that case? I love I love yeah. live because it's theatre. Yes, I see. It's theatre. Yeah. You could walk out and and the you could feel the heat. Wonderful venues. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I play some beautiful, beautiful arenas yeah. that you go in. I mean, at not O2, but yeah, you yeah. know, when I was doing it, they were fabulous theatres. I've done every number one theatre in this country, and then I did. Panto in all the number one theatres. Now, that is hard work. (laughs) Time-wise, it's never-ending. You're just on all the time. But I loved it. I loved it. Let's have a quick look at Lift Off with Aisha. Oh, God. What have you got? everyone, it's really nice to see you. And look who I've got to help me out this week. Barry, Hello, Barry, how are you? Hi, everyone. Hi, Asha. Hello, Barry. I think, um, do you know, I think you've got a really good show this week, Asha. You do? Yeah. Oh, good. Who have we got? We've got uh, Jigsaw mm-hmm. and Eli Carlbertson. And, of course, Barry. Thank you. And Hi, us. Going to watch uh, this, too. I'm going to give us a mention. <laughs> what, Cheeks? Oh, <laughs> 
you may have guessed, we have with us the, the Bay City Rollers. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it takes you back, doesn't it? Oh, goodness. That's lovely. Now, I think, and I, I know you'll correct me if I'm wrong, that ran for 144 episodes or so over five years. Is that right? Yeah. From about 1969. Right. Yeah. yeah, and there was, there was that big hoo-ha that I only found out about, uh, I'd say, 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah that someone had wiped all the tapes. Right, really. And I never, I didn't understand why it was not being shown every Saturday because they always show all the pop programmes yeah. and they always... And I thought, this is weird. Yeah. And then Granada called me and said, we're celebrating 50 years of something. We want you to come because yours was one of the most highest rating shows. Yeah. And then I said, someone... If that's the case, why do they not show it? Yeah. I find it so... People are always writing to me, why don't they repeat it? And what it came down to is they wanted to digitise it mm -hmm. and they put a guy in a room with a list of all the uh, shows and they said, those two there don't copy because we've already got copies. Those two you can wipe. And he wiped everything and kept those two. Ouch, really? Yeah, and I wow. think they didn't tell me because they were scared I'd sue them. Uh, I mean, that's five years of, of, of work. work gone. But not just me. Yes. It's, it's David Bowie's uh, one and only time that he did Ziggy Stardust. Star, Starman. Starman. That's right, that's extraordinary. There's David Cassidy. There's, uh, there's, there's some beautiful, beautiful things. Yeah, gone. The first time Slade were ever on, the first time Sweet were ever You know, Maybe. these were their first shows. Yeah. Elton John as a double act. Yeah, of course. As a young guy, you know. Amazing. I must talk to my father-in-law about this because he was in a band called Sailor in the 1970s. I remember the name. Well, I wonder if he ever appeared on your show. I must talk to him about that. He's the drummer. There was the drummer. I think Sailor <laughs> did come yeah? on the show. Great. Well, you have to ask him. Yeah. So you did a whole day, did it take a whole day to shoot yeah. an episode up in yeah. Manchester? We'd leave, we'd leave London. Most of us came from London. Yeah. Oh, and this is the days of, you wouldn't believe, British Rail. Oh. The guys, because we would get on the, the, the train at 7.30 or whatever it was, and they would have our breakfast already. Because they, they knew, because we came every Wednesday, we came up. Yeah. It was Muriel Young, who was the producer and different people. Yeah. They got to know us all. And our breakfast would be there. And then on New Year's Eve, we were working. And when we came back, they had decorated all the carriage <laughs> and put the name, put lift off everywhere. And they'd got, it's amazing. Great. So we shoot it in the morning. We'd, re we, we'd, we'd rehearse in the morning. And then at five o'clock in the evening, we would run the show as though it was live. I see. And you just had to do it. <gasps> No matter what, you know, sometimes somebody fell over, yeah. sometimes their voice started to go. It Carry had to on. be done. Yeah. And then we finished and then we got on the train to back to London at 7 o'clock. And all this in front of a studio full of kids, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes they're teachers and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, I don't, you know, you got a room full of kids. That, <laughs> the hardest audience please, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, but they're great, you know. Well, particularly with music, of course. Yeah, when the they would turn around and go, don't like him! <laughs> So, so you mentioned, you know, mentioned some great names there, you know, from Bowie to Slade and Elton John and so on. Were you aware that you were right, right at the middle of this pivotal moment in, in music? Or did it just seem like, uh, you know... No, no, I, I think we knew, because it was coming at you from... The, the, we, the, we had glam rock, yeah. and we, we still had... Um, oh, goodness, I've forgotten his name now. Oh, it's wicked. Um, 
I'm going to leave old Durham town. Oh, Roger, uh, Roger Whittaker. Roger Whittaker. You had Roger Whittaker. What a, a different world entirely. <laughs> so you yes. had Roger Whittaker, and then you had David Bowie. Yeah. I would have on the same show. Yeah. So you had music coming. Basically, it was light entertainment was was going off into its own world. It yeah. was not the centre. Yeah. And pop music was becoming the thing that would be on at the Palladium. Yeah. So it, there was a, you, you knew it was different. Yeah. And the 60s and 70s, of course, gave us some great music. Is it still important to you today, music? Oh, yeah. And what do you listen to now? Old Every, stuff or new stuff or everything? Everything. Yeah? Everything. Yeah. I, I, I like to have music on 12 hours a day in the house. If I'm, even if I'm doing something, I like it in the background. I love everything. Um, well, most of the stuff that comes out today. I love the old stuff as well. But what I do love today is we have so many fabulous writers Ah. And singer songwriters, yeah. which is beautiful. Yeah, Ed you know? Sheeran's and so on. I'm yes, just going to say, you, go. you got Ed Sheeran, you know. <laughs> yeah, Lewis Capaldi. Uh, and he, you got girls, you got Adele. Yes, you of know, course. I mean, yeah. England's pretty good. Yeah, that's right. Uh, now, I think there's just a couple more questions in our Space 1999. Would you box. start with the Space 99 with the tin? What is it with it? You keep. <laughs> I'm sorry. And here all... we have the Space 99. It's nothing to do with me. I don't care <laughs> no, about it. I know, him. I'm terribly sorry. I shall mention it no more. <laughs> it's just joking. as well you're not back again next week, isn't it? Uh, right, let's have a look in here. Why is it going to be here well, next week? Oh, goodness me. <laughs> ah, Robert Monk asks, uh, well, we've sort of answered this already, were you aware of or did you watch any other Anderson productions before being cast in UFO? Yeah, but yeah. only only the... Uh, That's it, Fireball XL5 as we watched strings, last week. With strings. With strings. Do with you str get that thing? Because I don't you know. I was in a Jerry Anderson show, so I'm also an actor. I was in a later show of his. What did you do? I was in Space Precinct, which was a police... Cops and Robbers in Space. Oh, when was that? At Pirate Studios in the early 90s. And oh, so I wasn't here, was I? Oh, I was in America. It. But when people find out I was in a Jerry Anderson show, they very yeah. often say, were you the one with strings? You know, the puppet thing. Oh, do, do, you, do you get that? Do they? No, mine's even worse because not only did you have the string thing, I married Peter Bruff's son, who was the ventriloquist Archie and with oh, Archie oh, Andrews. Gosh, yes. That was, yeah, well, that was my father-in-law. I mean, not everyone will know of Peter Bruff. No. I see. I, Bit of a genius, ventriloquist yes, on yes, the radio. That's right. Clever. That. <laughs> clever. Uh, but he discovered Max Bygraves and Julie Andrews. Amazing. He used to put on these big impresario shows. But I used to get yelled at everywhere I went, do you get splinters? Uh, no. <laughs> it's not original. It's not funny and it's not clever. <laughs> uh, Stephen Carson, uh, what do you prefer, acting in UFO or presenting uh, Lift Off with Aisha? So if you had to choose. Oh, I can't. I know it's unfair, I isn't it? Really? Not even a cigarette paper between them? Uh, no, no. No, it's, fair enough. It's all my work. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, now, after UFO, yeah. you then uh, made another appearance in another cult show, uh, and it looks like you were in a, a far nicer location than Elstree this time. So let's have a look. So, that's Jason King. In the flesh. With a man like that, a girl would have to be careful. True, but not too careful. It's essential that you get into his room to find what he's working on. And then? Keep him there. He looks to me like a man who makes up his own mind. If you go into King's room this evening, the chances of you getting out before three in the morning are rather remote. I see. And this? Wire for sound. Keep him with you all the time so we can listen in. If you think I'm... Before you become intimately involved. Your job is to find out what he's working on and keep him occupied for a few hours. No more. I should think that's quite enough. Well, there's no time like the present. I think I'll go and introduce myself to Mr. Jason King. 
a little bit of the Italiano. That's called eye action. <laughs> That's a lot of eye action. Going uh, on there. But you were in Venice, I show. Very nice. How was that? Lovely. <laughs> of course, did they look after you? Uh, yes, they yeah. were lovely to me. I love that the two guys that I worked with as well, they were always on TV. Yeah, they, uh, were, they did so much stuff. Yeah. I'm not sure if they didn't do something with UFO. Yeah. Chris, you'll know. They, I think they did. Yeah, maybe. Michael Bates and something with Green. Was it Green? Nigel Green. Nigel Green. Ah. I can't believe I pulled that name out. <laughs> now, come on. Well That's not bad, is it? Well done, you. Now, when you received scripts like that, you know, it's, it's, we mustn't look at it through a modern lens, must we? But Jason King was not the most sympathetic of characters from a female perspective, you might think. Did your eyes, did you roll your eyes inwardly as you read the script and think, OK, I see what's required, fine? Or was that just the way it was? Are you saying you, did, you didn't think he was fanciable for me? He was... He was the housewife's dream. Yeah. They loved the white tie and yeah. the suits and the hair. And but me, no, I, I, I was into, like, a rock star. I was young, you know. To me, I thought he looked... It was odd. Yeah. I thought it was... But look at the casting. A young girl. Mm. How old was Jason King then? In his 40s he or something? looks it, yes, that's right. He's got, yes. like, a 19-year-old. But an amazingly assured performance, if you don't mind me saying. I mean, you, you absolutely feel completely comfortable in front of the screen there. As you said earlier, you know, you've always felt the camera is your friend. And I think that scene absolutely yeah, TV, shows that. TV yeah, sees, yeah. TV's warm So and no nice. nerves or particularly? No, yeah. no. I was, the only thing I was nervous about was having to kiss him. Oh, how was I've that? Ne <laughs> I've never kissed anyone before mm, yeah. on screen. Mm -hmm. It was... Oh, that was a bit weird. How, how many takes did that take, I wonder? Oh, I think there was two, <laughs> and, it, and I said, yes. I've done it now. That'll oh, do. Uh, so, he was nice enough. He was pleasant. Yeah, good. Glad to hear it. Uh, a very busy few years then included live stage work, as you've said, touring the UK with Cabaret. Um, how different a process is it from, from working on a stage to working in camera? Do you prepare in a different way? Of course, you have a rehearsal if you're part of a panto, which you may not get as you know as part of a TV show. But what's your working process different? I think the secret different? of television. I mean, that where you, if you're going to do something, you know, sort of on a regular basis, not not like UFO, because you're not really feeling the person. They don't. There's not enough dialogue for you to get yeah. really close and understand them. But it's. It's as big as life is in reality. It's not bigger. Yeah. Whereas theatre is much, mm. much bigger. Yeah. To be natural on stage, you have to be so much bigger so that it crosses the footlights. If I turn around and just talk like this on a stage, it's, it's going to be lost. Mm. It, it has to be. It has to draw them in. And that's why I think I like TV, because I like people. So talking to a camera. Yeah. Yes. It's a, uh, it's, it's a different thing. And I, I am never really that much aware. Once I start, I know what my position is and, and what I'm meant to do. But once I'm there, that, that just becomes um, part of me. I'm not worried how I look or, or, and whether my voice sounds right. That's God. Where you're far more aware in theatre mm. of are they hearing me? Mm -hmm. Is this coming across? Well, that's what happens to me. I'm... I'm it's a, a continual thinking process when I'm doing anything theatre. Now, it's interesting you said there about your work in UFO. 
And you said that, you know, there wasn't particularly much to draw on. You know, it wasn't a well-drawn character. No. So what you have left to draw on is yourself, isn't it? And that's where I think an actor in those sort of roles can stand or fall. But luckily, I would suggest, you had already lived a full and rich life, which you were able to almost subconsciously bring to those moments. Do do you think that you could actually look at her and think she was more than yes and no and... And and I okay, think, I can imagine so. Yes, I can imagine that character has a life beyond the screen. I th- I think there were a couple of times that I was very lucky that they allowed me to show concern. Yeah, and just something, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's right. Yes, which presents you as being more human, yeah. I suppose, doesn't it? Uh, now, in 1975, you represented yeah. Great Britain. Oh yeah, at the World Tokyo. Popular Song Festival in Tokyo, yeah. with a song written for you by Elton John, mm-hmm. entitled "The Flowers Will Never Die." That's right. Uh, so all in all, you record... And I didn't win. <laughs> and I had an Elton John song. <laughs> how, co- how close did you come? Do you remember? Uh, I, I think I did really well. Because yeah. they put me on tour and it was highly commended and they yes. gave me. But um, people can be so mean. I can remember, um, I won't say who the, the contestant was, which country it was, but the the manager of this particular contestant sort of cornered me and said... Well, you don't have to worry because it's all fixed because it's Elton John, so you're going to win. Oh. Well, I have to tell you, no one has said to me that I was going to win yeah. and that it was because of it. I was sitting there trying to learn what my number was in Japanese so when they called out the number, whether I'd got through or not. But I was very young and I thought that was so mean. Yes. He was so jealous and so angry and it wasn't true yes. and I didn't win. Yes, there you go. So you were out there for a, uh, a week, I think, the competition? Oh, for a week and for then, the competition and then, then like toured. another three or four weeks to tour. You toured with the other contestants? With, uh, with uh, the, uh, the, the winner and, uh-huh. and different people. And how did you all get on, do you remember? Really well. Really? Because you were oh. all thrown together in the same yeah, boat, I guess. Yeah, and they, they're, they're, they're so brilliant, the Japanese mm. at organising. You have to remember that we had every language and so the translators that we had translated not only from their language to Japanese, but then to English as well. So they spoke like eight languages. Incredible, these girls. I became very good friends with some of the people from France and from Sweden. And years later, I bumped into uh, one of them in Los Angeles and we got up and sang together. It was strange. No, everybody was really kind to everyone else except this one manager yeah. guy. Yeah. Because you're representing your country. Yeah. It's a really big thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why did you leave us? What took you away from the UK to the US? Personal um, reasons or I went. I went across uh, to be with a friend of mine, Susan George, mm-hmm. um, and I was going to stay with her for a couple of weeks and I met my ex-husband. Uh-huh. And we went out a few times and then I came back and he said, I really need you to come back to America because um, uh, I don't really want you to leave. So I went back and I married him six months later. Oh, wow, OK. So that's why I went. And uh, were, did you feel like you were leaving something behind or starting yeah, something I was, new I was, or both? I was leaving, I was leaving everything, yeah. all my work, everything, yeah. because I actually thought then, not I'm going there now to start an American career. Yeah. I thought I'm going to go and I'm going to retire uh-huh. and I'm going to marry yeah. and have children yeah. and live a quieter life yeah. Yeah, and do that, uh, which I didn't. No. <laughs> uh, and then we have you back, of course, in the yes. UK. Yes. <laughs> uh, so lucky us. And you put all of this, I understand, in a book. 
The book of Aisha. Yeah, I don't really put. It's not. It's really. It's more um, uh, a photographic biography ah. rather than my my story. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't done yet. So are these personal photographs from yeah, your yeah, they're photos career? that I've had, photos that people have sent to me. Wonderful. There uh, and yeah, we sold a lot of books. Great. And uh, yeah. was that a a, a pleasant experience looking back and collating all those pictures? Yes, because it's a very dear friend of mine was the publisher and came and said, would you like to do this? Because um, a lot of people have, have, have asked if, you know, if there's a book, if there's mm. what... And I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And so I got to get, take all the photograph albums and sort out different Amazing. things. Yeah. And uh, and uh, David Howe um, was the one who uh, put it all together. And uh, where can we find it? I'm sure viewers on and listeners my website, want to know. Ah, on the website. Which is, I think, aisha.me.uk, I think. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I will double check that, but I'm sure that's pretty <laughs> I meant anyway, to bring you one today. I'll send Ooh, you one. That would I'll be lovely. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, and are you still releasing music? I haven't done any new music for, oh, goodness. A long time, yeah. a long time. But can we still buy anything? Yes, I have CDs and they're on the website. And right. um, what, what I, I'm about to do now is to do, I did a, a load of the stuff from one era and, and now I'll do a, ah. another collection. If I was going to go out and sing again, yeah, um, I think I would do it in a, uh, I think the only thing I would want to do is to have a small group and would be to go out and to, and to go live all the time. Because that's what I enjoy. Amazing. I think that's the most enjoyable. Lovely. Now, just before we end, I've got another very strange game to play with you. <laughs> uh, have you heard of the game Snog, Marry, Avoid? Oh, yeah. Right, but this is something similar, but I'm calling it Cute, Mute or Recruit. Now, bear with me. You have to imagine that we're forming our very own international rescue, like from Thunderbirds. Oh, oh OK, so okay. cute. And uh, I want you to imagine that you have been followed on your Twitter account or on Facebook by right. three new people. Yeah. And you have to tell me which of these that were picked uh, yeah. by our last guest. I'm going to mute them because I don't want them. Exactly. Uh, oh, cute. Cute. You might like them or fancy them. Or, or, oh, this, yeah. no, and recruiters, I want them exactly. on the job. And okay. these are your three options. Oh, we have Master Spy from Supercar, Cute, Mute or Recruit. Oh, can I go see the others? <laughs> we have Destiny Angel from Captain Scarlet. Yeah, Cute, lovely. Mute or Recruit. Or Officer Jane Castle, a policewoman from Space Precinct. We're going to recruit her. Nice. Who are we going to mute? She's cute. She is cute, yeah. And he will give me horrible. Pa. It's done. <laughs> Consider it done. Uh, Aisha, thank you so much. Before you go, just pick three of these random cards. We don't need to see what they are for our next guest. Oh, yeah. Have you got three there? Great. Yeah. And I shall present them to our next guest and see who they choose. Thank you so much for joining us. I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure. One to tick off the list for me. It's oh. been delightful to meet you. Thank you for joining you us. You were a pleasure to be with ah, You're very thank kind. You. Aisha Braff, everybody. How amazing to have Aisha Bruff with us in Slough for the Jerry Anderson podcast. Two whole parts. Actually, if, you, yeah. if you missed the last one, you yes. can go back and listen to it. Of course you can, yes. And she came such a long way to join us. I know. Thanks, Aisha. Really so, appreciate that. We really do appreciate it, yes. Uh, now, next week, we have uh, another special guest from another TV series. More special guests. By Jerry Anderson. Uh, on a similar theme and vein to UFO, you might think, mm. Space 1999. Ah. We've got Dr. Bob Mathias himself. <gasps> 
Anton Phillips. Amazing. Will be joining us. Uh, also, of course, to celebrate, uh, well, Breakaway Day on the 13th of September. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's perfect. How did you manage to arrange this where Synchronicity. he would straddle Breakaway Day yeah. so beautifully? Yeah. What's also quite sweet about uh, having Anton on uh, next week is that I think we're only a few weeks uh, ago. It was, I think, the 50th anniversary of his first ever TV appearance. Oh, amazing. Uh, so I'll try and dig that out and we can have a look at that as well. Oh, yeah. great. Lovely. Yeah, nice, isn't it? Um, now, YouTube, I mean, it's a, it's a modern phenomenon, isn't it? Well... It's a place to go to watch things uh, that you can't find anywhere else. Yeah, well, it's nearly 20 years old. Is it? I think so, yeah. How long has the official Jerry Anderson YouTube channel been going? Uh, to, to 10 years, 9 years. Really? Yeah. Mm. Now, you did make a, a promise, didn't you, that someone, if someone were to comment first beneath pod 268 yes. on YouTube, yes. you would send them a little something. Did so, I say that? You did say that. Sounds like the sort of thing I would say, but yes, I can't remember saying did. it. And you said it in pod 267. Brilliant. So, the person who commented first beneath pod 268 was Les Paul Davis. I'll leave it to you, Jamie, how you get in touch with him and how you send him whatever you were going to send him. It might be Les or it might be Lay. Could Maybe be. it's French. Could be. Um, but oh, yes, okay, well done, Les Paul Davis. Uh, now, uh, Robin Matthews posted on our YouTube channel underneath the video of how new Captain Scarlet came to be. Mm. And he said, I never missed an episode of this, a terrific show. It was treated better in Australia than Britain by the Australian Broadcasting Commission. Yeah. Uh, it was advertised well before showing commenced. And uh, had a good early evening time slot. Mm, yeah, there helps. you go. Uh, the episodes were played in order and uninterrupted. Imagine. Wow. Like, treated with respect. And so with the audience. That's amazing. Completely different to the yeah. UK one. As he says, to an appreciative audience. Couldn't wait uh, to get the entire series on DVD to watch many more times over. Jerry and David did a great job, as did the entire voice cast and animators. It's hard to pick a favourite episode, as they were all outstanding. Uh, actually, he's put a little question mark after that, so we've got the Australian intonation as well. As they were all outstanding. <laughs> Thank you so much, says Robin. Very authentically Australian. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Uh, and a couple more, I think, underneath the very same video. Yeah. Well, just before that, uh, yeah. Robin's comment about them all being outstanding, you asked me last week, yes. uh, off the back of P Peter Lippmann's email, if oh, you yeah. remember, mm. about uh, whether Dad was proud of any of his shows. Yes. Actually, New Captain Scarlet might be the one... How interesting. ...where he had a sense of pride, an ongoing sense of pride about it. Right. Because it was kind of groundbreaking in terms of motion yep. capture and CG. Yep. And CG, you know, particularly stuff pre-2015, mm -hmm. ages quite fast now. So it does look older. But for the time, yeah. it was really groundbreaking. So I think there is one, maybe, yeah. that he was vaguely happy with. Nice. Uh, I do have another comment, though, from Man of Geekdom. Oh, yes. He said, this was my childhood. Oh. I'm still gutted to this day that it never got a Series 3. It's such a shame that the original masters of the computer-generated material, character models and footage no longer exist so that Anderson Entertainment can fix bugs, errors and unfinished shots. I uh, love this show and Wayne Forrester did a marvellous job of embodying the character that Francis Matthews originally brought to life. Yep. Here, here. Yeah. And yes, it is a great shame that all the, all the computer equipment ended up being wiped, <sighs> destroyed, sold. Um, so crazy. All, those, all those bugs and mistakes you mentioned, unfinished shots, yeah. why, why did that happen what? well just because it was, of, it was it, tough. again they were they were breaking new ground yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were doing amazing new stuff and uh you know yeah they, they maybe weren't seen as bugs or mistakes or unfinished shots it was just as good as they could get it at the time yeah. while getting a shout out i held a lot of hate for the new adventures oh. of captain scarlet 
That's right. not me talking. That's Stephen A. Thanks, Stephen who A. Also commented uh, for a long time. I grew up with Captain Scarlet as a kid, more so than Thunderbirds, and thought the new series was oh, look at what they're doing. This is terrible. Mm. And then during the pandemic, I saw some of the episodes up on this channel here. He's oh. referring to the official Jerry Anderson YouTube channel. Uh, it meant I didn't have to watch Ministry of Mayhem, thank God, and I absolutely loved it. Oh, it that's was good, isn't it? Captain Scarlet. He yes. Says. Uh, in fact, I'd say that the writing was better than the original Captain Scarlet, and I adore the hell out of the original. I loved the writing, how it put emphasis on it being a war of genuine nerves. Mm. Uh, Scarlet's actually given, given a bit more personality, and everyone at Spectrum is fleshed out more. The Colonel White episodes are brilliant. There are things in the original that I prefer, the soundtrack for one, and I still think it's so hard to replace voice actors. But the writing was solid as a rock, and I really, really can't believe I didn't give it a chance when it first came out. So, yeah. Thank you for that. Brilliant. Well, that is exactly why we do the YouTube channel, why we do the podcast and all that sort of stuff, to keep introducing people to to stuff, even if they think they don't like it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people's viewing experience of New Captain Scarlet was rather sullied by the way it was shown. Of course, you can't get invested in a series if it's chopped to bits and shown out of order and, you know, not given any sort of importance at all. We don't hold anything against Stephen Mulhern and Holly Willoughby. Uh, They did dress up as the characters. But, yeah, on on Ministry of Mayhem, it was chopped to bits and... Things cut off and yeah. Uh, just yeah, not, not treated respectfully, no, sadly. Exactly. Uh, and a few comments there, Jamie, you can see beneath the video of um, Scott Tracy discussing his favourite character from the Anderson world. Well, in fact, Lee Sullivan uh, yes. discussing his favourite <laughs> character from the Anderson world, which was Scott Tracy, of course. <laughs> That's right. By, uh, quite by coincidence. Yeah, strange that, isn't it? Ian Dealey says, definitely Scott Tracy for me, not just because of Shane Rimmer's voice, but the way he takes control of the situation. Uh-huh. He's just bossy. <laughs> uh Alan Royson yes. says, with Lee on this one, Scott was a well-developed, well-scripted and superbly voice-leading character. Plus, as a youngster, when the series first aired, there could be no contest when Scott also flew the fastest of the Thunderbirds craft. Sure. Well, is it all about being the fastest or is it about doing yeah. the actual work? No, it's about being the fastest. And making the cocktails. No. Uh, Spiffer <laughs> says, I'm with you, Jamie. Virgil's the hero for me. That's the correct answer. <gasps> oh. uh, though Brains is up there too, as he invented or designed all of the fantastic equipment, which yes. is also, yeah, very, very good. True. Yeah. Um, and back to the bike. Right. Also agrees with me. Oh, good. Virgil was the man. Scott was a little too flash while his brother did the heavy lifting in the best aircraft. Uh. Waggly palm trees too. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, exactly. Who do you think does the heavy lifting out of our uh, presenting partnership? Oh, oh, I mean, I, I don't think we should and, and which probably go there. And which one's the flash one who makes the cocktails while the other one does all the hard work? Well, uh, that's that's easy to answer. Uh, anyway, should we move on? <laughs> yes, but do leave your comments on, under the, uh, the videos on the YouTube channel. It's a mine of um, uh, information and entertainment, and it'll waste hours of your life. If no, it won't waste. No, no. sorry. No. It'll it'll enhance. lift and elevate and enhance hours of your life. That's true, exactly. Uh, so yes, do leave your comments, and uh, you can bet we'll read them out in a couple of weeks' time. You it's can bound be, to happen. You can be sure of that. You can be sure of that. Something else you can be sure of, because it happens a regular. Even for something that's random, it seems to happen quite regularly at a specific time in the podcast. I think things can be regular and random. Can they? Yes. Well, because if I throw a dice every two minutes, sure. That's both regular and random. And isn't that's it? essentially what Chris Dale does every time he gets one of our lovely guests to press the button on his randomizer. Absolutely the same. Should we see how he gets on? Yeah, I know which one I'd rather watch anyway. The dice. Yeah. Over to you, Chris. Aisha, would you like to return to Jeff Tracy's sofa? Oh, have a randomizer. Yes. Here we go. You're ready to have another go with the, the uh, okay. randomizer here? Any particular series you're hoping to see come up on here today? Oh, yeah. 
I don't know. No? I'm not sure. Something from UFO would be nice, wouldn't it? Oh, I'd love that. That would be nice. I'd well, whenever you're ready, if you okay. can press the button, we'll see um, what you get today. Okay. Yes, it's just doing its thing. It's a lovely machine, isn't it? Beautifully made. Beautifully made. And it looks like we have this week's episode, which, oh, I'm afraid it's not UFO. It is, in fact, Terror Hawks Unseen Menace, which is another very good one. It is. So it is, you know, I'm not knocking it, no. but you were hoping for UFO. Maybe I'll try another time. Maybe next time, if we oh, invite okay. you back, we'll try again. Okay. In the meantime, thank you very much. I'll go. Bye. Safe journey. So, we welcome back to the Randomizer. It's Terrorhawks. Again, it feels like I've not long seen a Terrorhawks episode on the Randomizer, but you have to remember, I'm recording these way in advance of when uh, they're being broadcast. So... The question oh. is, which <laughs> Another breakfast first? for young staff. And it all looks thoroughly disgusting. <laughs> you are... It. it. Uh, the carbon jelly. <laughs> then the granite crunchies. Ooh. Oh dear. But it's another breakfast interrupted. Well, presumably it's breakfast. Uh, knowing Young Star, this could be the third dinner of the day. You have the undivided attention of your devoted son, mother. <laughs> What's he angling for there? Come forward, my lord Moide. Oh, yes, this is a Moid episode. We're establishing the character early. Really, it's the second major appearance of Moid. Um, he was introduced at the very end of Happy Maid Day, at least that's when we first saw his, his face. And then he made a couple of cameos in uh, To Catch a Tiger and Play It Again Sram. He disguised himself as Mozart. <laughs> Another beautiful reaction from Zelda there. They get some really nice expressions on these puppets. No, nobody would dare. question your mother's word? Yes, Zelda. Oh yes, this is a bit of clever puppetry. Well, very simple really. It's the puppet puppeteer presumably working the nose from within. Quite simple, but again, rather effective. And it's something you couldn't do with the um, the Super Marionation puppets, for instance. It's making good use of the fact that these are you know, foam and latex and rubber puppets. Oh no. Oh, poor young star. Why is everybody picking on him? How you can see right through him. I, I, I can't remember if the Queen's song was out after this or before this. I'm going to guess that probably wasn't a reference to Queen. But I've always sort of um, mentally taken it as such. It would be nice if it were. Ah, I thought we were going to go back to Sistar going, Terrorize the Terrorhawks! But it's probably been used in uh, other episodes as well. 
And it's a very clever use of a character who can disguise himself. That's something that could you know, lend itself to a lot of storytelling potential. And aside from you know, disguising himself as, as Hero and, and Tiger in his first appearance, then of course as, as Mozart, it's strange that they would go to being able to make himself invisible. But it's a very clever idea. And we're now at the point where Dizweet is never far from the, the Sergeant Major's side. I just love, I love Terrorhawks all round. But I love that it's written for the most part by a very silly man who whose scripts were then brought to life by some very silly people. The fact that you know, anything could go in these stories is, is part of the appeal of the show, that and the characters. And also something that this episode uh, plays on quite heavily is the, the combination of, of humour and almost drama, tragedy, something that the audios have come back to in quite a big way. Boring. Boring. It's amazing how these bits of dialogue stick in your mind. Oh dear, he said it. He might as well have said nothing can possibly go wrong because there's Moid in Azif. And unlike his um, previous appearances where he you, they held back showing Moid until quite near the end of, of the episode in his earlier appearances, here we see the puppet you know, quite, quite early on in the story. And this, the puppet has never sort of spooked me or creeped me out. None of these Terrorhawks puppets ever did. But I suspect if I were a younger child, younger than I was when I first saw it, um, watching it when it first went out, I can imagine this would be very, very, not just, it's not really scary, Moid, it's more unsettling. It's the emotionless voice and just the bulging eyes. But Spacehawk, of course, can't get a a target on his Zeef. The stupid it's Martians didn't do what I thought they'd do. What is it, Hero? But this is An nice. Is the outer defenses, heading for Earth. An error of judgment on my part. A nice yes, little yes. moment of camaraderie. I don't know what to say. You didn't have to cover for me, Lieutenant. We are a team, 101. We share the success and the failure. Oh, that's a very, a very sweet attitude for Hero to take there. And obviously that's, I think, them now out of the story. We just get that little bit of Hero and, and 101. But it, again, for something so small, you, you get a lot of character stuff in that moment. Anywho, Moids Zeef is now in the Earth's atmosphere. Hawkwing's going after it. And we now get something that's quite rare for this show, um, a dogfight sequence, a bit of aerial combat. Normally Hawkwing would be 
bombing targets from, uh, from the air on the ground. Why is Moy doing this? Even Zelda doesn't know. Where's Moy? In my mind's eye, you slobbering cretin. He impersonates Ron Richthofen, famous fighter ace. Yes, but he's still invisible, and he hasn't quite got the... Well, I suppose there is a bit of passion in that voice. <laughs> Again, just such silliness. I also like there that Youngstar seems scared of Moid, and that continues into... There's a later episode, Series 2, where Moid is mentioned, and Youngstar's like, Oh, where? Where Moid? But they've managed to hit Moid's Zeef. Of course, Kate and Hawkeye managed to do that. And a lovely crash sequence from this Zeef here. I think we said before that um, a lot of the, the desert environments in the show, you know, they, they all look nice, but they get a bit samey. They did some nice work there in um, spicing that up a bit. Putting a few more trees and branches and such around the place. For, for this show, that's quite a, quite an unusual shot. It makes a, it makes a huge change from all of the, the deserts and such. And also interesting as well to see Moid um, injured. There's some interesting puppetry there as he recovers and sort of shakes his head. This is a cool shot as well. I've always liked this shot. Tank. You mean the battle tank? Yeah, okay, if you want to call it that. Oh, there we go. Battle tank rolling out theme. Is it going to knock over that tree? Come on, got to knock over a tree. No? No. Oh. Sometimes a battle tank will just plough through things. Poor Moid's probably got concussion. It's quite a crash. Ah, there we go. So now, there seems to be nobody aboard the Zeef. Kenji the battle tanks found nothing. You followed it down. Mm. No one walked away from that Zeef. So what happened to the pilot? Continue the search. So. <laughs> I hate to cut and run, I, but I, I love how it never occurs to anybody yeah, know. that, um, we'll pick you, up here. you know, they heard the voice on the radio. Nobody thinks that they should be looking for some uh, German flying ace happening to be roaming the area. You met him with one of Kate's parties. I did. And here yes. comes one of Tony Barwick's puns. To call him Daniel. Dan Druff? Mary, I don't believe you. <laughs> Lower cargo doors. We believe her because we know what Tony Barwick is like. But here we get the beginnings of a, a slightly odd, almost a detour really with yeah, this story, yeah. because you know, Moid's mission is to infiltrate Hawknest. He's now invisible. Presumably he's, he got aboard Battlehawk to get aboard Hudson to go back with Kate to her house. Why didn't he just stay on Battlehawk? We have this sequence with him sort of following Kate around for a while, which is quite spooky and atmospheric. What's that? 
Stay where you are, or I open fire. <laughs> I'm the rhyming zeroid, but sometimes rhymes don't work. Don't get in this state. That you, Miss Kate? That's quite sweet. Yeah, Five Five, another character who didn't make it to the second series. I, I don't know if it's fair, though, to say that this Moid stuff is... I don't think it's padding, and I wouldn't necessarily call it a sidestep, because this, A, is quite sinister. Such beauty, so near and yet so unattainable for such beings as myself. But B, you can imagine that he sort of allowed himself to get distracted, particularly with that reinforcement from Zelda and the tears. The tears are quite revealing. The music on this episode is also um, some lovely stuff. But yes, this the introduction of this, this Moid subplot, and it is a subplot within the wider story of him uh, infiltrating Hawknest, is quite interesting, and it's a shame that the show never really returned to it after this episode. I know they wrote an episode for Moid for the second series, uh, Attempted Moider, that would have again touched on this. But there's, there's so much dramatic potential there. When Kate also remembered uh, experiencing something unusual. No, madam. Oh. Would you like some uh, light refreshment, Howard? Never eat, never drink when I'm doing business. <laughs> I'm here to do business, right? Ooh, you're right, this is right. Uh, Miss Kestrel, this is Howard Druff. Pleased to meet you, Miss Kestrel. <clears throat> Let's get down to business, shall we? Right away? I'm trying that to figure out wonderful. who that's an impression of. I haven't got it. But again, this is strange within the context of Moid infiltrating Hawknest. Why is he going into the studio? Is he that much of a fan of Kate's that he wants to hear her sing? And you know what I'm going to say. Here's a Kate Kestrel song. I love all the Kate Kestrel songs. And I think it's a real genuine shame that... A, that they never really troubled the, the charts... Um, in our real world, but also that so little of this material survives. Fortunately, this song does. Uh, the original audio tracks for this episode survive. But yeah, we now have this uh, joke of Moid pushing his way up to the table, <laughs> helping himself to the drinks and the sandwiches. Now, you know, Granted, he's, he's come all the way from Mars. He's probably quite hungry. He's probably quite thirsty. <laughs> but it's it's a strange sort of disconnect with this this taunt, tortured, haunted soul that is Moid. And we also have him shuffling sandwiches and uh, and drinkies down his mouth. Also, I think the beginnings there of Stu, Stu getting frustrated with other people. Normally, well, previously, I should say, when when stuff like that happened, Stu would be more either oblivious or just sort of, oh wow, you know, it's amazing, man, you know. Uh, 
here there's this sort of um, more acerbic side to the character creeping in. I'm so. I want you to star on a special this phone, Mr. Kestrel. Oh. My manager, F.W. Runkin, handles that side of things. But it sounds good. <laughs> Moyd has had a good afternoon on the catering front. I may try one a little later. Oh, yeah, OK, fine, yeah, I mean, I'd do that, you know? I mean, it might help soak up the drink, yeah? Oh. I gotta leave. You two enjoy yourselves now. Yeah, I don't think Stu would, um, would stay long in his job talking to a... Uh, was it a director of vice director of uh, network television or something? Let's get back to Hot <laughs> So Kate's aboard, and of course Moyd has come back um, with a full stomach. Also, I guess Hawkeye flew Hawkwing alone, uh, home alone, without Kate. I'm sure he's very capable, but. Quite unusual. Mary? This is nice though, the handheld stuff. Which I think they also did in Mind Monster to suggest the not only the presence of something alien, but also with this episode to put you into the, the position of Moid walking around the base. Admittedly being a bit clumsy, because he has to clue the Terror Hawks into his presence somehow. Now now you two stop bickering. <laughs> Yes, Mom. Oh, of course, Zero has a bit of a thing for Mary. And speaking of things, Moid has made his way to the power generator room thingy. Reminds me a bit of second series 1999 stuff. Section 4. Well, unless Zero? it's 2 1. There's a. Intruder. Whoever he is, we'll surround him with a ring of steel. Oh, Just I like that make phrase. Sure you get it. So, Zero and his ring of steel. Hmm. What's going on? Kate. Oh, no. So someone's killed the lights. Oh, we can see the sections, the technical section. Is that auxiliary services? That just went down as well. There we go. Zero, report. No reason why it should kill the lights in the uh, Battlehawk cockpit, but it looks very nice and atmospheric. And as, I think this also helps to make good use of limited studio space. Or limited set space, I should say. It does make Hawknest feel larger than it is. And the Zeroids always look really good in darkness, with just their, their eyes flashing in the dark. He's through the ring of steel. Oh, no. He's invisible. Ah, so Zero's put the pieces together. Mary, Kate, he's heading back your way. And it seems he's invisible. <laughs> Kate, are you armed? No. Okay. But he's here. I can sense his presence. <gasps> he touched me. Hmm. I can't bear this. Yes, we're coming up on a slightly somber end for this episode. I was trying to, I was trying to think just then. There's a line from another show: "The beings appear to be invisible." Oh, that's that's Doctor Who. That's that's a Dalek line, I think. 
You've had your chance. Yep. I'm just gonna start shooting indiscriminately until I hit something. You better stand right in front of my line of fire. So third time, no. Fourth time, no. Fifth time, no. Six. Oops. So on the, was that the 10th or 11th time? Tiger finally hit Moid, uh, who tried to put up a fight, but unfortunately, it was all too much for him. It's Moid. Aww. You shot him. Don't worry. It was set to stun. Oh, poor Moid. I love that Mary is, you shot him. You shot you the intruder who's here to destroy us. Reactor and destroyed That's gorgeous framing of Why the Moid puppet you? there. I have no face and little will of my own. Aww. You had chances to kill any one of us. I cannot kill. Ah. It is the one shred of self-esteem I have left. It's a lovely what line and a lovely touch to the character. Exactly to Almost makes me wonder why he was assigned to Take the torture chamber the in the, a previous episode, though. Zelda reclaims her own. Let's go, Moid. Oh, now... The old tissues at the ready for quite a sad ending. As Moid walks away, he turns back. I will carry the memory of such beauty. His eyes full of tears. To feed my feeble spirit. And he's basically just admitted to the Terror Hawks. Please help me. My life is hell. And they can't do anything because he's Zelda's. Oh, well, that was Terrorhawk's Unseen Menace, and uh, I so wish the show had done more with Moid. I don't know if maybe they felt the, you know, a little bit here and there went a long way, but this just redefines, or reintroduces rather, and then redefines the character. It's almost like there should have been a continuation to this, and it's a shame that we never got the chance to see that on television, unfortunately. Uh, Indeed, after this, aside from the one mention of Moid in, I think, Jolly Roger 1, he's gone again until the audios, uh, until the episode that I wrote, in fact, which um, I hope tied up his story in a, in a satisfactory way, but really that was inspired hugely. I wouldn't say by this entire episode, but certainly by the ending, and that ending is probably the highlight of the story. It really sticks in the minds of a lot of fans. But overall, a thoroughly good episode of Terrorhawks with a, an exceptionally emotional ending. Good stuff. Well, you're a happy bunny, aren't you? Of course I am. Because it's Terrorhawks. Any Terrorhawks makes me happy. Like, any Terrorhawks? Yeah. Any single... So there aren't any sort of weaker ones that you go... Oh, oh there's, yeah, of course. But like I still Which love one? it as a whole. I'm not, I'm not putting a particular name. I mean, there's that audio episode. Um, I know what you're going to say. Is it, it's the one that's a Vile. sort of... Yeah, that's the one. I mean, the lead character. Yeah. Didn't quite get it's it. It's a bit weak. bit weak. Weakest yeah. link in the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. that's probably it. No, of course, of course not. I love Vile. Um, but no, because I'm the human embodiment of Moid, oh, you see. doing yourself down again. Um, do, do the audio adventures to you feel like a, an absolute continuation? Yes. Is it, is it a straight line yes. from the TV show straight yes. into the audio adventures? Yes, well, not straight into, because in the, yeah. we set the audio adventures up as being 30 months after the original television series. Yeah. 
yeah, well, it was actually 30 years, wasn't it? But uh-huh. uh, 30 months. Uh, so, yes, but it is, it is a continuation. Mm. And then a development of Nine Signs character and an exploration of what it means to be a clone. And, right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Podstron's at home. If you've listened to the audio uh, versions of Terror Hawks, let us know. Well, what do you think? Do they feel like a continuation of the, new, of the old uh, TV series or do they feel like something new? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Just basically what I'm saying is let us know what you think of the audios. Basically that, yeah. But if <laughs> yeah. you don't think they're a continuation, then I will be very upset. So Yeah, if you don't, maybe don't let us know that. Yeah, or just don't put the emails into the podcast. Just ignore. Oh them. yeah, tell me. Just cut, cut yeah. Them out. Yeah, delete. Fair enough. Done. Exactly. Uh, talking of delete and done, mm. I think we're done. Are we? But I'm not going to delete it because I've got to upload it so people can see it. Yeah, yeah. don't do that. But that's sake. the end. I think we can safely say of Pod Two Seven Three. Amazing. And and what a podcast it was. It was. We had Fab Facts. We had the second part of our interview with Aisha Braff. We had Terror Hawks in the Randomizer. Yes. Uh, we spoke about some stuff. Um, yeah. That's about it, wasn't it? Yeah. Read some Podstrom messages. Of course. And, and we'll, some YouTube comments. We'll do the same again next week. Can't wait. Lovely. See you then. See you then. Bye. Goodbye. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. Can I just ask? Yes. I've noticed in the last few weeks this um, lovely retro uh, lunchbox of yours. The lunchbox, yeah. Do you mind explaining what's going on here? Well, I mean, you remember in the first few of our video pods, we had this ridiculous idea of pulling viewers and listeners' questions out of uh, Zelda's mask. From the the mind of Zelda. It sounded cooler when we said that. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Robert Mm. Taylor, who's one of our cherished listeners and viewers, uh, was in the States. Yes, and happened to see this in a, oh. I guess, a second-hand store, vintage store. Yeah, vintage store. Uh, yeah. And uh, do you know he had to give thirty dollars for this? Thirty US this dollars. Piece of gold. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, but it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Space nineteen ninety nine lunchbox, which we thought was perfect for putting in our questions from our listeners. It is a beauty. I particularly like. Look at the back here. Yes, yeah, the dragon. Yes. Gosh. In action, seizing Barbara Bain. Well, there you go. I can imagine the scream. I don't. And look, I mean, they've really gone into quite yeah, a lot yeah, detail. Yeah, detail. Very nice. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you, Robert. Yes, thank you very much for that. So, there we are. Yeah. So, I think that'll stay with us probably because it's a nice little receptacle. Oh, it really is. Isn't it? And I just yeah. I enjoyed saying the word receptacle as well. Good. I quite like the word lunchbox. Do you? Mm. Mm. Okay, maybe I'll use both interchangeably going forward. Can't wait. All right. Cheers. Bye. Then. Bye. That was an Anderson Entertainment production. <laughs> <laughs>